young people stand up for climate action, old white dudes are rankled by Greta Thunberg, and we reconvene the Liz Lens fan club to talk about who gets to be heard. What a week. I'm Lauren McElmeal, the digital director for Progress Iowa. Welcome to What a Week. And I'm Emily Holly, the executive director for Iowa Voices, filling in for Matt Sinovic. Thank you, Emily, for stepping in for Matt while he's gone. We're very happy to have you here as our guest host. It's my pleasure. And also, happy anniversary to Matt and Steph Sinovic. Yes, happy anniversary to them. So let's get into it. One of the top stories this week in this extremely exhausting news cycle of a week, what a month this week has been. Uh, Greta Thunberg gave an address at the United Nations during their big summit and basically said a lot of what we're all thinking, which is that we need our lawmakers to do something rather than just kind of offering platitudes about how the young will save us, the young give us hope. These people don't want to be your hope. They don't want to be your inspiration. They want you to do your job. And I think that has been a wake-up call for a lot of us since we are seeing this kind of resurgence of youth activism recently or at least the youth activism that's being brought to the fore with the march for our lives movement and and the the climate action movement but i think young people just want to be young people greta even says that like i shouldn't have to be up here telling you guys what to do I should be back at school she's 16 she should be allowed to be 16 yeah absolutely but at the same time these kids are filling a really important void and I think that that is just amazing so should they have to fill that void no absolutely not but I'm so proud of them for stepping up and filling that void that we've created I mean not just um you know the older boomer and older lawmakers but also millennials i think that we can all learn an important lesson from greta and um the you know the march for our lives parkland students uh, malala obviously um you know it takes so much courage as a young person when you're constantly told to sit down and shut up and learn and it's not your time it's not your turn to reject all of that and stand up and speak and i think that's amazing and I'm so proud of them, and it inspires me to be even more active than I already am. And I, I hope that other people take something away from that. You don't have to go to the UN to make a speech to make a difference in climate or other issues that you might care about. Yeah, and there are so many other young people who are doing this kind of work, like Autumn Peltier, who's a 15-year-old from Canada, who is an indigenous water protector. She addressed the UN a couple of years ago when she was 13. And then um, Mari Kopany, who's uh, better known as Little Miss Flint, is 12. And she has been doing so much for her community in the Flint water crisis. And she has not received half the recognition that, I mean, we're giving Greta. And that is that is a problem that we're not amplifying certain voices and that we're we're giving more attention to certain people but I mean it makes me angry when people are so dismissive of young people and especially young girls of color who are doing everything that they can to ensure that their communities you know in the case of 
Autumn Peltier. She is a water protector. She is making sure that her community has water that is safe to drink and also is um water is is so inherent to our existence obviously that no one especially children shouldn't have to think about oh is my water slowly killing me oh for sure and the backlash to all of this uh youth activism which in what i've been tracking has been primarily middle-aged white dudes who uh say things like uh in the case of shane vanderhart who runs caffeinated thoughts uh he tweeted that someone needs to remind these children activists that number one they're children two they are not wise three sailing across the ocean or getting shot at doesn't make you a policy expert and four they're not nearly as smart as they like to think they are and that i think encapsulates a lot of things that young people are having to deal with to just be heard and the thought that young people don't get to have a voice purely because they're young people is such a circular argument and also completely not true because these people have had the experiences that give them i mean even if it's not like a policy standpoint they have the experience to say this is not right this is not something that should happen let's fix this this is how we can fix this we'll work with you to learn how to fix this and i mean need we remind people that the man in the white house managed to coast his way here without any knowledge of finer policy points it's such a it's such a catch-22 when it comes to these kids because on the one hand we have people who are applauding them and being like oh my gosh they're so brave and standing up and look at these kids but then we're not listening to them and then you have the other side where if they say something that they're not agreeing with it's immediately dismissive of all these these they're just children and they don't know what they're talking about and i would have to say that watching your classmates be shot and murdered in front of you does make you pretty wise oh for sure also as an example i mean we have literally never had so much information at our fingertips like today is when we're recording it is the 21st uh birthday of google and we the gen z and to the to some extent the millennials have had this tool for so long that has allowed us to find out what we don't know and it i mean i think we're all pretty intellectually curious about you know what we what we don't know and we recognize our own um limitations for what we do know and then what we we don't know we go find because there's an entire world of information out there so i mean saying that someone is not nearly as smart as they like to think they are i mean even someone might fully uh agree with that and still be like i can go look it up if i don't know it right and and the other thing that i think is really important to remember is that to stand up and share your personal narrative and talk about your concerns and what you're passionate about you don't have to be a policy expert to do that no to stand up and say this is unfair this is wrong you don't have to be a policy expert to say that, to obviously to say, you know, um, allowing climate change to go unaddressed by leaders of the world, that's wrong. To stand up and say that, you don't have to be a policy expert. 
to say that to say that kids shouldn't have to worry about being murdered in their classrooms you don't have to be a policy expert to stand up and say that either so i think the problem with shane is that greta is making him feel uncomfortable and um i think that dismissing is an easy thing to do instead of just simply listening and saying wow that's really cool it takes so much courage to stand up and and say to a group of adults that this is wrong and you need to fix it. I also think that this gets into a more gendered issue about how we view teenage girls and young women and just women at large about how we have all kind of had this not the same experience but we've all probably had an experience of being kind of demeaned or put down or told that we're not as smart as we think we are and young people Young women, especially young women of color, have been historically shut out of these conversations about policy. And so in in having like that be a a metric that you have to meet is also just negating all of this work that a lot of us have done to get to a point where we're allowed into these conversations that I mean, it's an it's an indictment of just the misogyny and how our society treats women and girls who step out of line or like have done the work to get to this point. Right. And I would like to add that just because you don't agree necessarily with someone doesn't mean that you should simply dismiss them. I think this also gets into like a a thing about who is allowed to be angry about things. Like we saw during the Tea Party movement that it was a lot of middle-aged white people who were concerned about quote-unquote taxes but like other stuff but around that same time the black lives matter movement was kind of gaining traction and later on to some extent the kavanaugh hearings and it really brought into like a clear contrast about who is allowed to be angry and it's usually not the people like greta like uh like the people who were protesting in ferguson or the women who were protesting the Kavanaugh hearings who were written off as, you know, riotous or hysterical, whereas I think the Tea Party got to have uh, some different adjectives applied to them. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree. And it's something that uh, we have in our notes here that I think is worth mentioning. Um, Since Shane Vanderhart likes to quote the Bible so much, Here's a quote that he might recognize from Matthew 11:25. You have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yeah, these these kids are not bought and paid for by corporations and special interests like so many of our lawmakers including Joni Ernst by the NRA, some big pharma companies, and they're not cynical about their ability to change the world because they've seen these youth movements that have really panned out and also their moral clarity on these issues should make those in power really ashamed and the fact that we have to have our kids on the front lines in these fights should make all of us ashamed because we're not letting kids just be kids and we're not taking our responsibility as the adults in the world seriously if we're not if, if these if these kids these young people are not feeling safe enough that they now have to go and speak in front of the UN, hold protests, and things like this. We also talked about how uh, how many women and girls can relate to being told you're not smart enough or experienced enough to do something or to have a seat at the table. And 
we've called it imposter syndrome and put the onus on women and girls to overcome it but it's really just the culture of our society that tells women and girls that you're not good enough to take that seat or sit in that meeting or take that job and I applaud all these young people for taking for being able to overcome all of those cultural barriers to get to a point where like your message is being heard right and I think I I think it's interesting that you mentioned imposter syndrome because personally that's something that I deal with every single day as someone with who's well educated with a graduate degree who has a wonderful job who who has a, a, a good resume who works hard I still deal with imposter syndrome and I know so many other peers and colleagues who do as well and so the fact that we are imposing that on these young people who are trying to stand up and stand out is really I think it's really asinine honestly um, and women by and large are, are, are affected more by imposter syndrome than men are and when we have these female activists in particular I mean obviously obviously this happens with um, male activists as well but it always seems more so that when women stand out at, at any age they are automatically dismissed and so like you've said it's not just about them being children or not being policy experts it definitely relates to gender i mean even or or sexual orientation for sure or not fitting into the role that you should be fitting into definitely i think this also goes into our uh discussion where we're going to reconvene the liz Lenz fan club liz Lenz fan club yes um so liz Lenz wrote a column recently that was published in time about how marginalized communities and marginalized folks have had to continually basically rip themselves open and pour out their traumatic experiences just to prove that they're worth listening to by our current power brokers and she used the example of uh, the women in the elevator with jeff flake who basically told their stories and he just kind of dismissed them and still voted for Kavanaugh's uh, confirmation. And I thought, as someone who you've had to do this a lot recently in your job about your chronic pain journey and getting Joni Ernst to listen to you, and I was wondering if you would maybe speak to that. Sure. I will tell you that um, I, I don't mind sharing my story and my experience with chronic pain, but it takes so much out of me because it is traumatic. It started uh, when I was a child and there's nothing more traumatic than realizing that your whole life is going to flash before your eyes when you're 10 years old and you kind of get a preview of what your adulthood is going to look like and the really difficult choices you're going to have to make in your life based on your health and your disability. So every time I share my story uh, especially details, I go home and it's exhausting. And so I really relate to these women who have had the courage to share their stories of just horribly traumatic things like rape and harassment and assault and battery that have happened. And they are taking the deepest, darkest parts of their lives and making them 
public and they're having to live with the consequences of that. And of course, you know, the other side immediately dismisses them and discredits them without even acknowledging that this terrible, horrible thing happened to them. And it's disgusting. It's absolutely disgusting. And I'm so glad that Liz wrote about it because I think it's something that we really need to recognize as a community because obviously part of my job and and I'm an organizer at heart part of my job is getting people to take their difficult experiences and sharing them and so raising the question of well does it really make a difference I think is something important to to talk about and Liz in her article really lines um really lines it up to say that, um, you know, lately, no, it doesn't always make a difference. And that's really hard. But decisions aren't always made in the room. And it's setting precedence. And it's also a piece of history. So like Dr. Ford, for example, and Anita Hill, they will be remembered as courageous women who really faced a lot to share their stories. And the men that they testified against are always going to be, their names are always going to come into question. So Brett Kavanaugh, for the rest of his career, for the rest of his life, Dr. Ford's testimony, her story is going to be attached to him. And it it doesn't matter what ended up happening. I mean, obviously it's terrible that he was put on the court despite her testimony. However, her testimony is going to follow him for the rest of his life, and history is not going to look kindly on that, you know? I think also the one of the other benefits to just sharing these stories is that I think a lot of us think that we are the only ones that are dealing with some of these things, but I really think that there is a benefit to sharing these stories and making sure that people know that they are not alone and that I think that has really led to kind of this sea change within that led to the Me Too movement and the Time's Up movement that where a lot of us are realizing that this is a very widespread thing that's happening and an almost kind of universally female experience in general. And I think the importance of sharing these stories is a good way to, you know, show people that like we're we're stronger when we when we band together and they might say no to one of us, but they can't say no to thousands. Oh, absolutely. And the other thing about sharing your personal narrative, sharing your story, um, it is incredibly empowering, regardless of how things turn out. It's empowering because it gives you the strength to feel like you are doing something. You no longer feel helpless. I worked for the Alzheimer's Association back in 2015 running their caucus program. And my whole job was to get the presidential candidates on both sides to talk about Alzheimer's and what they were going to do because it is a public health crisis. And I met with a woman who isn't political. She's never been politically active. She has never talked to candidates or shared her story. But her sister has early onset Alzheimer's. Her mother died of Alzheimer's. She's terrified that she's going to get Alzheimer's. This is a powerful story. And I talked to her and I gave her some pointers and I said, look, they need to hear from you. 
And that night she went to a Mike Huckabee event and talked to him. And then after that, she went to a Martin O'Malley event and talked to him. And the next day she called me and talked about how empowered she felt. Because when these terrible things happen to you, there is this sense of helplessness that goes with it. And it's a horrible, dark, and lonely feeling. But when you stand up and you tell people in power, hey, this is happening to me, you're taking the power back from the traumatic event that happened to you. So as hard as it is, it's also quite empowering. And it sets a precedent for these policymakers to know that what, regardless of the decisions they make, they are being watched. We know what they are doing and we're going to hold them accountable as such. And that's part of what I'm doing in my job with Iowa Voices is telling folks who are dealing with specifically difficult healthcare experiences, whether they're concerned about losing coverage for their pre-existing conditions or the incredibly high cost of healthcare prescription drugs procedures to share their experiences because if we all band together, we will be listened to regardless of the decisions these policymakers make and we're setting a precedent. I think this also kind of speaks to the importance of representation and accurate and fair representation because historically our governments from local to federal to presidential have not been accurate representations of our population writ large and I think that generally sharing these stories and seeing these events unfold and especially within the Anita Hill hearings when she was basically just faced with a wall of middle-aged white men and when Dr. Ford also testified less less so the old white man wall but it's been said that the United States is basically a gerontocracy at this point. And so the importance of, I think, bringing in younger people, more diverse people, and people with lived experiences who differ from that of the people who are currently in Congress and the Senate is really important if we're going to make any kind of progress on these issues. And I mean, I think that's, I think that's generally what we would all like to see fair and representative government. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that um, especially as we have some big elections coming up, both at the presidential and the local level, and this is our time, everyone's time, to stand up and talk about your life and talk about your experiences to our policymakers because if we all band together and we demand to be listened to, we will be heard. And even if things don't always go our way, they'll know that they're being watched and we're going to hold them accountable for their decisions for sure well thank you so much emily for coming and being my co-host for the week it was great to have you and we look forward to hearing more from you and iowa voices it's my pleasure i i love any time i get to come and talk with you all what a week is produced by progress iowa as part of the potluck media network and would not be possible without grassroots supporters like you For more information, visit potluck.fm or find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to leave us a five-star review and subscribe. See you next week on What a Week.